Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Aaron Spradlin. And Aaron is co-owner of Aaron and James Real Estate, as well as a real estate agent servicing Denver and Colorado Springs. Her business caters to first-time home buyers and experienced investors. And she offers expertise in both short-term rental and mid-term rentals in real estate investing. In addition to working with clients on buying and selling real estate, she also runs Denver Women Invest, a free monthly real estate education club for women focusing on Airbnb, buying and selling their first home. So Erin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me, Eileen. So Erin, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So I had just finished my marketing master's. I was in a marketing job and my then boyfriend and now husband slash business partner and I were getting together. I was annoyed that we were giving up so much money on rent each month, but we weren't really ready to live together. So we got into Airbnb and this was in 2014, which is not that long ago, but in Airbnb years, it was like a really long time ago. So when that happened, we started to just notice like a crazy amount of demand and we decided to both quit our jobs and become real estate agents with a focus on Airbnb and short-term rentals. And, and at that point too, it was just nuts. Not a lot of people were talking about people investing in that way. And so we pretty quickly took on clients and became investor real estate agents and also started to acquire our own investments around it. So that is sort of I didn't see myself as a real estate agent, but I actually really love it. And it's a great way to own your own business and help people and stuff. So that is how I stumbled into it. So when you got into Airbnb and you decided to move from your marketing career into real estate full time, what had you done up to that point? And how did you see the market going to be able to support this career long term? Yeah. So what had happened for us is, as I said, it was like kind of early days. And so when I put my place up, I was like, well, even if we just capture back $400 a month, that would be awesome. But it was like, I posted it and within half an hour, I had a hundred dollar rental and it never ended. So then we were doing arbitrage, which is where you rent out someone else's place and do Airbnb. And we were just making a lot of money for us at the time off of Airbnb. I had also always had an interest in my own business. And when we just kind of ran the numbers and looked at different opportunities, we felt like real estate was the cheapest, fastest way to own our own company and to have a living. It also just turned out at the same time that around 2017, which is when we both got licensed, around that time, Denver passed a law prohibiting short-term rentals as an investment. So we felt like there was a real need for people to understand the laws so that they could make investments that were secure and not vulnerable to a city changing their laws. So 
we kind of knew like, okay, this is making us so much money. Other people are going to want to do this and they're going to want to know the implications of how different cities are handling this. So I, in a way it was kind of crazy. I mean, it was kind of crazy that we both quit our jobs at the same time. I think my husband had had a grand total of three contracts. And if someone told me that now, I would be like, don't quit your job. <laughs> um, but for us, in a way it was a good thing because it was like sink or swim. We had to take it very seriously. So at that time when Denver had changed their laws prohibiting the short-term rental, investing as short-term rental space, how did you maneuver your portfolio at that time? And how did that stay afloat? And what did you end up doing? So that is a great question. And it's really, it's kind of formed where I'm at now professionally, because we had a couple of investments that were meant to be Airbnbs at that time. Denver changed the law and Denver, unlike some other places, is absolutely on top of it. They will find you. I don't know if this is still true, but for a while we were the only city that would give felonies if you lied about what you were doing. So it's not something you wanted to mess around with. So when that happened, not only did we change careers, but also our investing platform at that point, we kept the furniture, but we moved into 30 plus day rentals and we were fine. So the midterm, the 30 plus day midterm space, we were always staying rented and we were happy with it. And then COVID happened. We didn't really talk to clients about it. We were talking to clients about short-term rentals, but we were actually doing midterm rentals because of the laws. And we were directing our clients outside of Denver. And then COVID happened. And in the middle of COVID, I was really interested in the patterns of what the implications would be for remote work, because I just think having to go into an office is ridiculous. And I felt strongly about that for a long time. So when COVID hit, I thought, well, if people don't have to go into the office anymore, they're going to travel a lot. So then I started really talking to my clients about the midterm space. So my husband is still kind of focused, my husband and business partner, he is focused on the short-term side. I'm focused on the midterm side since 2020. So at that point, since 2017, we've been in midterms. And since 2020, I've been telling my clients, like, you should really be paying attention to this kind of model. So we hear a lot of laws and regulations around the short-term rental space. Is that the same with the midterm rentals or is that less regulated? Yeah. So the only city I've called many, many cities in Colorado, and then a lot of my consulting clients that have called their own cities, there are cities that don't have laws, but if they have a law, it's 30 days is usually the threshold. The only city I know that's outside of that is Baltimore and it's 90 days, but typically 30 days is what you want to pay attention to. And I always call this out too, because if you're looking on Airbnb, Airbnb talks about it as a 28 day threshold. But if you're trying to be in compliance with the city that has changed their laws, it's 30 days that you want to be doing the rental for. So for short-term and mid-term rentals, we know and are familiar with Airbnb is the midterm rental space. Is that also to be found on Airbnbs and VRBOs or is there another platform that's better suited for midterm rentals? Yeah, I like that question too, because I illustrate, I think when Airbnb showed up, VRBO had existed for a long time, but the strength of Airbnb brought up VRBO. And there's a group called Furnish Finders that has existed for 
maybe even longer than VRBO that is catered to primarily medical professionals, but really they cater to anyone as long as it's 30 plus days, but no one has heard of them until the last year or two. And because of the strength of Airbnb on this model, now you're starting to hear about furnished finders. I personally list my place on Airbnb and that's where the majority of my tenants come from. So about 70% of my midterm tenants come off of Airbnb, but then I also really like Zillow and Avail, which are usually thought of as more typically long-term unfurnished platforms, but people tend to convert really well on them because they come in thinking they want a long-term rental. And when they see the option for a furnished long-term rental, a lot of them will take it. In terms of generating revenue and cash flow between the short-term rental and the mid-term rental space, what are you seeing in today's market? And is it still profitable, especially on Airbnb, we're seeing a lot of fees where that hosts are being charged more for their fees and being able to host on that platform as well. How are people still making money in today's market? Yeah. So when you're doing a short-term rental, if you're running it yourself, you're going to make the most money because the amount of money that you can pull in nightly is going to be worth the most, but you're going to have to be the property manager on it. And it's pretty labor intensive. It's certainly, it's a lot of money, but it's not free money. And if you put a property manager on it, a lot of the property management for Airbnb starts at like 15% and it can go as high as 50% for like mountain towns or vacation destinations. In the midterm space, you do better, again, because in my opinion or my how I advise my clients is you don't put property management on it. You just get a smart lock and a relationship with a cleaner and you have longer lead time. So it's pretty easy to self-manage. And if you do that, you're going to make more money than you would if you had a property manager on a short-term rental. So I never promise people stuff. I mean, I can run the numbers and give you a threshold, but I'm not saying necessarily that you're going to hit a certain cap rate or cash on cash. It's just, these are your different models. And depending on who you are as a person, how much time you want to put toward it, this is how much money you can anticipate to make. So I think that there is absolutely still money to be made. My other thought too, and some people disagree with me on this, but I'm all in on appreciation. I think that cash flow is important, but a lot of people in the real estate space talk about cash flow like it's the cake and appreciation is the icing. And I feel completely opposite of that. I feel like appreciation is the cake and cash flow is the icing. So it's just a model to acquire properties and sit on them basically. So especially for newer investors looking to break into either the short-term rental space or the mid-term rental space, is there a preference or preferred way to get into one before you get to the other? Or does it really matter on which one you get into first? Yeah, it's actually short-term and mid-term. Assuming your laws are okay, you could be in either because you could move out of the two worlds pretty easily. Again, this assumes that there's no law on the local level that prohibits you from doing a short-term because you've already bought the property and the furniture. It's a different issue when you're trying to move out of that into long-term or long-term into that because you have to account for the property. But as far as short-terms and mid-terms, you can bounce between the two. I would say the biggest issue I see with first-time investors is just analysis paralysis. They're listening to a lot of different podcasts or reading a ton of different books or following different creators. And so you just get a lot of information and it can be hard to know who to trust or what sounds right. And that is the biggest issue I see is that people lose years because they're feeling overwhelmed. 
So when they're evaluating a property itself, what are some of the things like the top metrics or the top key indicators that you look for as you're evaluating whether or not you're going to be making a profit or if this is the right property for you? What are some of the top things that you're looking for as you're looking and analyzing whether or not you want to pursue that deal or not? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say is that investing is just not that hard. I know they get high strong about it because that's a lot of money, but it's actually not that complicated. There's some basic things that I think will guide you in the right direction with investments. And one is a walk score. So you can pull the walk score off of Zillow or Redfin. But if you have like a 70 plus walk score, that is going to tell you that there's a lot of industries surrounding wherever that property is and that that property has good access to restaurants, education, things to do. So instead of telling people necessarily like this is a city or something I would look at. I'm like, wherever you're at, maybe look at the walk score and try and buy the property with the highest walk score. I think as far as retaining tenants and having a good property, I think two toilets is a good thing to do. I hear a lot of people sell their places. I have a lot of clients that resell their places because they get a one toilet property and it's just not great. So that I think is a good thing to look for. I also think that HOAs and condos are completely fine to invest in, which especially if you're out of state and you think you don't want to pay for a property manager, an HOA can absorb a lot of that. And then my final advice to people right now is, especially in Colorado, it may be different in other parts of the country, but avoid getting a yard. Yards are only getting more and more and more expensive. That's not going to change. And they really need to be well taken care of. If they look bad, people are going to be immediately turned off. So If I was just going to give generals about what you're looking for, those are kind of the things that you want. And also for a midterm, you don't need that large of a property, probably like a three bed, two bath. And that's simply because your tenant pool is probably not traveling with children. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And what about in terms of the financial aspect when you're looking to bid on a property or a house and then you're looking and you're breaking down the expenses, how much rent that you're able to generate on that property through short-term or mid-term rentals? What are some of the metrics that you look for in terms of the financial side? Sure. So as a rule of thumb, I really don't pay attention to cash on cash or cap rate or anything. And again, this is just because I'm in a high appreciating market. So I really care much more about securing a property and watching it appreciate. And the reason why I feel that way is because in Denver and Colorado Springs, we were seeing fifty, a hundred thousand dollars in appreciation year over year. And if I was making five hundred dollars a month in cash flow, it would take me sixteen and a half years to get there. So I've always been much more 
focused on that. So I don't necessarily look at those metrics or care about those metrics. But when you're trying to figure out if you're going to be able to cover your mortgage and get a little more, which is usually what people are looking for, at least in my area, if you hypothetically have a long-term rental that's going to pull in a thousand a month, you can estimate that you're going to get 40 to 65% more for a medium term and twice as much on a short term, assuming again, that you're doing all your self-management. So that's all I'll really say about the numbers is just like, if you're trying to estimate what your rentals are going to look like, then 40 to 65% above for a midterm and a hundred percent return on a long-term for a short term. What differentiates the success from one short-term rental property to another one that's performing better? Because there's so many different options on like Airbnb, VRBO. And then what kind of differentiates one from the other, making it more standing out to potential renters? Well, I think it all depends on who your tenant pool is. I've written a few books on midterm rentals. And a big part of one of my books is just about leaning into who you are. I think that there's an idea that you need to be going after a certain tenant pool or the people that are going to have the best response to your unit might be somewhat similar in their interests and their lifestyle as you. So I don't think you should shy away from that. But that in mind too, sometimes in the midterm space, people are really hyper-focused on nurses or medical professionals. I think it's a much smarter to have your focus on the platforms and make sure you're really strong on the big platforms and less focused on the tenants. And as far as like a particular unit that will do better more so than others, I mean, again, I think a good walk score is a good indicator of how well it will rent. But I've certainly had consulting clients that have done really well that they're just the only game in town. They're the only one in the middle of Missouri that has a 4-3. And so even though you would never think that that would do well, the lack of competition is making them do quite well. So there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason to it, but it's going to be a case-by-case analysis with your property. So what are some of the pitfalls or mistakes that you see new investors make as they're looking to buy maybe their first one, two, three, either short-term or midterm rental? Yeah, I don't think people are going to like this advice, but I think the biggest thing that I see is analysis paralysis and waiting. I honestly feel like time is your biggest enemy in this kind of market, even though we have seen the interest rates come up. And so a little bit of the competition has come down. The prices really haven't. And so every six months that passes, you lose quite a bit of buying power. So that works against you more than anything. And related to that, with a lot of investors, I see people feeling like they have to get the perfect property or they have to make sure that this property will squeeze out $40 more a month than the next property. And I think the sooner you can get rid of that mentality, it's like you don't need the perfect property. You need a pretty good property. And that pretty good property should cover the bills and you should sit on it unless you are just like a math whiz that is analyzing stock market and everything else then i just think most properties you're gonna gonna have a sense of what you like you don't want to adopt any major foundation or major sewer issues but barring that if the house has been up and it's got a decent lock score and you you are attracted to it you can imagine other people being attracted to it it, those make for good rentals. And I know people want like the secret sauce or some kind of advice, but it's like really the biggest mistake I see people make all the time is like this fear that they're not getting the perfect place. What about in terms of like operations as you're 
turning from one renter to another renter, how does the operations piece look like? Yeah. So I think when you are planning, so you've, maybe you've gone under contract, you probably should wait until you're under contract to do this phase, but start to go to local meetups or do your research on Facebook where you're starting to research cleaners, handymen, property managers, and ask around so that your team can be set. And then I'm probably sounding too cavalier about money, but I'm big on paying people, like paying real professionals what they're worth and potentially overpaying a little bit. I feel like in the long run, you still save money by having good relationships with people that you can count on versus trying to save a little money here and there. And then, I mean, I think you pay for what you get. So I feel like you get your team in place and then you treat that team really well. That is kind of the best situation. The other thing I think that tanks people sometimes is bad communication. Sometimes people will avoid responding to things or they don't move forward either with a property or a rental or whatever, because they have bad news and they don't want to share it. And it's like, I have found a lot of people can handle information, but they get pissed when they don't hear from you. So just making sure to be thoughtful about who the other party is as well. So what's your next focus, Erin? So I've written three books in the midterm space. I think my next book is maybe going to be about real estate philosophies and what I've seen as far as getting out of your own way. But also my consulting practice in the real estate space has really taken off in the last year. And I've really loved it. I just, I have an hour long package, a two hour long package and then slightly longer packages, but I try to be a second opinion that is not tied into the deal at all. So I have no financial interest outside of the consulting package, but someone to talk, to analyze the deal and help people think about like what makes sense and what doesn't try and help them help themselves, put things into perspective. And then also be a real estate professional for people that maybe see themselves with four or five rentals instead of feeling like they have to have 20 or 40. A lot of times in the real estate space, People get really crazy and act like you're not doing it right if you don't have 100 investments. But a lot of us don't want that. We just want a good retirement piece and we want to be able to manage it and just have a little bit of it. And so I think I'm definitely an investor and an investor consultant for people that are more in that headspace versus feeling like I'm going to four apartment blocks in Cincinnati by this date. I'm probably not your real estate consultant for that. So how has real estate investing impacted your life, Erin? It's been amazing. Actually, I know that I had said at the top of the podcast that I didn't necessarily see myself in real estate. And I think that's because I had made some assumptions or had some stereotypes about real estate agents. But real estate has personally impacted me in the sense that I now work for myself. I can work from a lot of different places. I can choose my hours and choose my clients. And so on a personal level, that's been very satisfying. But also the work side of it, I do feel like you are absolutely helping people. And if you can acquire a property and get that confidence and that experience to acquire one property, it likely will lead to two or three other properties. You not only understand that you can do it, but you're also profiting from it. And I think it does change people's lives. It's changed mine, but I think it changes my clients. And so being trusted to help someone make a major financial decision, it's very flattering and it's very rewarding. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Start buying real estate when you're like 19, like (laughs) as soon as possible. I'm like, why don't they teach this in high school? I just think, and especially like with the U.S., 
this is a little controversial, but I do feel this way. I feel that people are going to have to leave the coast because there's a lot of issues with being on the coast. And so I think the reason why I bring that up is because I think housing prices are going to continue to go up because we have a big supply of people that need it. We're losing inventory. And so that's kind of what you're looking for when you're thinking about investments or pricing. And so I think the U.S. is well positioned to get more expensive. And so I think just starting as early as you can, I think real estate is a pretty solid investment and it's a pretty well-proven investment at this point. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Good communication. I think it's a way to show people that you take them seriously and that you take yourself seriously. And so I guess, being thoughtful about your response times, being thoughtful about how you present yourself in the email. Sometimes I'll get emails where it's just like one or two words or a single sentence. And it annoys me. But on top of that, I just think that person is probably not going to ever convert versus the person that introduces themselves and gives me a little bit of background that I think will position you much better. And I think there's an idea that there's a million realtors and whatever, but I think for this kind of decision, you kind of want to be with people that also are taking it very seriously. And so it's important to start the relationship that way and start that relationship by introducing yourself and acting like you're taking it seriously. So Aaron, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, you can find, if you're looking for real estate in Colorado, Aaron and James Real Estate, and it's Aaron, the female spelling. So E-R-I-N. I have a YouTube channel under the same designation. So it's just YouTube slash Aaron and James Real Estate. And there I talk about a lot of investing strategies. And then I have three books on Amazon, which are all under Aaron Spradlin. All of those are good ways to get in touch with me. And then my email is just Aaron at Aaron and James Real Estate.com. Awesome. Erin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavis Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.